All right, welcome to the 9.30 service uh, where you can get a seat the week after Easter. That's just how it goes, right? You hope everybody comes back. Y'all did. So welcome to all second-time guests. If, if Easter was your first time, I'd like to say good morning to the Union campus as well. And if you are a first-time guest, it might be the first time you heard that uh, we have either campuses or you're at the Union campus, you're like, whoa, what in the world? I'm watching this guy on video. This might be a little bit different. And so either way, we're glad that you're here. Our Union campus is located off the Richwood Road exit. And uh, it was an unbelievable uh, Easter weekend and uh, a lot of first-time guests and just an opportunity to celebrate uh, what is the aim of our gatherings every single week, right? We say it, come back, we're going to do this all over again. And uh, not everybody does, so that's just the nature of it. Uh, Matt, who normally hosts here at the Burlington campus, uh, he woke up, he's still kind of down and out. Uh, he, was, he had the flu, I guess kind of ran through his family. Uh, L.D. Campbell, who most of you know, former senior pastor, he was uh, preaching over at Burlington Baptist over uh, Easter, and uh, Tuesday he got the flu. Oh, we got a shout-out from Burlington Baptist. Don't tell them. Anyway, uh, uh, he, he was down. I was like, what in the world? The flu's kind of hanging on. So, man, you be careful out there. Uh, uh, so, anyway, I say all that because I know Gary uh, out at Union has got you guys off and running and filling out the Connect cards. But here at the Burlington campus, if you're a first-time guest, there's a card right in front of you, that seat back pocket. Love for you to fill out, just put any, any information on there that you're willing to share, especially prayer requests. Uh, maybe you've just decided you're, you're passing through. Maybe you're from out of town, but we would love to pray for you. We do that as a staff and our elders uh, throughout every single week. We look at those. And uh, you can also uh, write any questions you might have on there. But then after the service, take it back to Guest Central. And we'd love to give you a gift and uh, answer any questions that you might have uh, about First Church. So we're thrilled that you're here as we uh, kick off a new series over the next five weeks, including today, called Faith and Doubt. And this is a, this is a big one. Uh, whether you're a longtime Christian or you're seeking, you know, you're first time at church. I think this is relevant for every single one of us uh, because we all have doubts whether or not we allow them to come to the surface or not. And sometimes we feel pressure and feeling doubts at all about whether or not God is actually there. <laughs> and so we're going to look specifically. We're going to kind of set the table today for the rest of the series because we have to un understand what our motive is in navigating doubt, specifically in understanding how God receives our doubts. Are doubts even okay at all? And if, doubt, if God receives them a certain way, we as a church should follow suit. So before we jump into the message today, though, I uh, want to just pause for a second. We do this uh, once, about once a month. We'll show a mission spotlight video. So if you're new to First Church, uh, this is the first time you're hearing this, but we place high value on the missionaries that we support. So we have missions locally, uh, throughout the U.S. and even internationally. 16% of our budget goes toward missions. It's always been a high value, high priority, always will be, because we don't want to just live in a bubble and say, hey, let's have church here, right? That's, that's where it starts, and that's important. But we believe, because God mandates this in Scripture, to be connected to the rest of the world, right? So we pay attention to what's going on, but also literally reach the rest of the world. And so we get to do this by supporting missionaries. And so we're going to show a missionary uh, spotlight video for uh, this month. Um, but I also want to keep in mind, because we're going to pray for uh, our missionary that we're, we're going to see here in a second, but I also want to keep in mind uh, the churches and the families uh, who lost loved ones in Sri Lanka. Just an unbelievable tragedy. I'm sure many, if not all of you, heard about last Easter Sunday. On Easter Sunday, uh, churches were, were bombed and over 300 people were killed. It's unbelievable. Uh, and, and so we, we as a church here in northern Kentucky can't just say, oh, wow, that's terrible over there. No, we enter into 
what's happening there, the reality, the pain and the suffering. And at the very least, we, we pray for those right, who are, are suffering deeply and have experienced this tragic loss. And uh, we, we call upon the God that, again, in the midst of our doubts, God, what are you up to? Why do things like this happen? We long for all things to be made new and to be reconciled, uh, what we celebrated last week. Uh, so we're going to watch this Mission Spotlight video. We're going to pray for uh, our missionary, uh, who's uh, this one that you'll see is, is located in Honduras. Some of you have actually been there, taking a mission team there in 2020 again. And uh, we'll pray for the people in Sri Lanka as well. Check it out. Greetings First Church, my name is Felipe, I work with His Eyes in Honduras and just wanted to share with you guys a little bit about what's been going on with the work of His Eyes in Honduras uh, where we work. Uh, it's been really exciting this past year to see God use our coffee farming ministry to expand the kingdom work that we're trying to do there and establishing a church in that community, a church where we have uh, several dozen adults and several dozen children. It's been a huge kind of surprise for us to see God finally move that forward uh, and just really encouraging to find more opportunities to do more coffee planting, to do more um, engaging via jobs and things, and at the same time being able to more actively tell people about the work that Christ is doing in that community. Here we are in Las Botijas. This is one of the farms we have, coffee farms see in the church you can also see in the background and God's been doing a lot of things here in the last several months we've planted over 7,000 coffee uh, plants here you can see our avocados here some of our coffee some of the newer coffee some of the coffee way off in the distance over there here in Las Botijas part of the groups over here working on a new base for the um, wash plant and then just above the house you can kind of see the loops where we're forming some drying racks and the we're looking for some dirt to kind of level that space out. Here I am in San Pedrana. This is one of the locations where we have a church. Uh, we're also building a building here for a farm manager and we're growing coffee as you can see. Prayer requests. We have prayer requests that abound. Uh, we would ask you guys to pray for us for our milk project. Um, we have in two different locations over 100 children involved now. Um, children from really troubled uh, situations in life. Uh, situations where some of them have feel like they have to come to the states with their parents um, just uh, really hard economic hardships and, and a lot of uh, physical and spiritual hardships as well and so our staff and the children of the milk project definitely need your prayers uh, on an ongoing basis um, we also need prayers for our coffee ministry as well uh, we are continuing to look for ways to export coffee to the to the states and abroad to, to be able to use that money for more mission work in Honduras and, and as well just for the construction that needs to happen there and the development of those farms to better reach the people in the communities where we're serving. We're also praying for our clinic and opportunities to hopefully expand that work in the, in the coming uh, years, uh, maybe adding surgery and other areas of service that are just aren't really available to most people in Honduras. Um, we thank you guys for your support, uh, for your financial contributions, for your prayers, um, and for visiting us. Um, we're looking forward to hosting a short-term group from you guys again in 2020. And uh, we again just thank you for your support and uh, thank you to God for being able to allow us to, to be in Honduras and do this work there. Thank you.
I love just his perspective of gratitude, right? He considers a privilege to be God's hands and feet there in Honduras. I'm sure uh, his family leaving their own family and saying this is the work that we're called to do. So it's a privilege, right? It's, it's humbling every single time we consider uh, what our mission partners are up to that we get to support them, we get to pray for them. And coffee ministry, right? Say no more. Maybe you're interested in being a part of helping out with that. It's like, this coffee feels like, hello. And uh, uh, so it's a big deal, right? And we get to, to literally reach around the world. And unfortunately, we live in a day and age where it's a little bit easier through video and internet and things like that to stay in tune. So let's do that. And so I'm going to spend uh, uh, some time now just praying for them, the work being done in Honduras, and also uh, those suffering in Sri Lanka this week. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, encounter you, first of all, we, uh, we cry out to you. We look around the world and sometimes we wonder, what are you up to? Where are you? And we long for uh, things to be made right. And today we bring to you um, just the number, unfortunately high number of families who are just navigating tragedy and loss and um, in Sri Lanka and the churches uh, that uh, aren't meeting uh, today like they've been able to um, for a number of Sundays. And so God, we, we pray that you'll do a work there. And if there's something that we can do tangibly, I pray that you'll reveal that to us. But God, we know that you are doing the work and we want more people to come to know you even in the midst of tragedy. And we pray for that. We thank you for the work being done in Honduras and uh, just the way that you uh, are, are literally on the, the ground floor there and, and making your, your gospel and good news known. We thank you that we've been able to have teams there so that we can become familiar with the work there. I pray that this year is their best year ever. They find success, especially in reaching people uh, for you. And uh, that you give the, the missionaries and their families uh, the energy that they need uh, to stay uh, filled up and so that they can pour out and make a difference there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, on a re semi-regular basis, at the very least, for me, I'm thinking I wish that faith were a little bit easier, at least a little bit easier. And I'm guessing that it's the same for many of us. Right? When maybe you come to church and you hear about having a relationship with God, it's supposed to be the most important thing in our lives, and it is. Why isn't it easier to navigate? You know, we ask things like, where is God as we look upon the world and certain things happen, especially tragedy, and like, wow, if there is a God, why would he allow something like that to happen? And we wish that it would be easier to believe in him, that he would provide signs to us. And when we're called to, to keep the faith on a daily basis, it really does feel like a fight, like it's a daily discipline, right? And so it's the power of being able to gather like this and, and to ask these kinds of questions, right, that we all wrestle with. And we brought this up last week. All of us have a longing for something more, this gap in our lives to be filled, and we wonder, what is it that's going to fulfill that? That's number the first sign that maybe there is something more that, beyond this world that is meant to fulfill it. And so we typically go throughout our lives looking for signs from God, that he is there, that he wants us to go this way or that way, discerning the will of God. Uh, when I was preparing this message, I thought of something I hadn't thought of in maybe even decades. Uh, my life was basketball growing up, and so my house had a basketball goal that I would, you know, shoot baskets for just hours and hours, thousands of hours, up until, you know, I left for college. And I specifically remember, I don't even know how many times, where, uh, you know, there might, may have been a girl that I was interested in. And so you play the game, right? If I make it, she likes me. <laughs> if I miss it, she doesn't like me. If I make it, I'm going to ask her out. If I miss it, I'm going to keep shooting, right? It's like looking for a sign from God. 
God, tell me what to do with my life. If this is supposed to be the most important part of my life, why isn't it easier? So here's the question that I want us to consider. Remember, we're just setting the table, right? We're spending five weeks, including today, navigating our doubts. But we have to have the right posture as we enter into this conversation. Here's the question I want us to consider today. Are those with the most answers the ones with the strongest faith? Does more knowledge lead to more faith? See, our... My instinctive aim, I'll just speak for myself, I'm going to seek out knowledge about God, but does that automatically equate to strong faith with God? See, I think you could maybe even argue it would actually be the opposite. St. Augustine, a long time ago, said, if you have understood, then what you have understood is not God. If having all of the answers is your goal, well, think about this, you wouldn't need faith because there would be no God, only the one you have created. Which again, this is, right, we're looking inward, like this is instinctively what we want to do. I want to have a God that I fully understand so that I'm good with God and I can make sense of some of these things that are happening around the world. But if I actually get to that point, the only point I've actually arrived at is the God that I've personally created. A.W. Tozer said this, we make God in our image when we are left with a God. So we make God in our image when we are left with a God who can never surprise us, never overwhelm us, nor astonish us nor transcend us. We've taken out the awe, the wonder of, what, of who God is meant to be. So my prayer for us is this, that we never make knowledge itself king in our faith conquest, the ultimate aim, but instead we realize that relationship through the realization, being overwhelmed of, by grace will always be of highest priority. This is what is actually going to get us there. This is the primary vehicle. Right, so this is what we're going to navigate today. Again, we're just setting the table. So you're going to leave today and be like, okay, still a lot I have questions about. But what I want to look at specifically today is how does God respond to our doubts? It's important to know, right? Because sometimes it might be tentative, hesitant, like, oh, I, I, don't want, I don't want God to know that I'm doubting, <laughs> as if he wouldn't. But we, at the same time, we don't feel bold enough to say, hey, God, I don't even know if you're there, right? And so we, we need to start here. How does God respond to our doubts? Thomas was one of Jesus' closest followers, and somewhere along the way, someone gave him the name Doubting Thomas. That's a major bummer, isn't it? It wasn't Jesus. Someone came along, hey, we're going to name you Doubting Thomas. Didn't, didn't, couldn't shake that. Even after Jesus rose from the dead, several people, right, talk about tangible evidence, right, historical evidence, several people saw Jesus walking around after he rose from the dead. But Thomas still struggled to believe. And so Jesus found out about his struggle to believe. And how did he respond? John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, now we know why he went by Thomas, bummer. <laughs> Nobody's naming their kid that Bible name, huh? <laughs> I shall name you Didymus. No, no one ever did that. One of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came, right? That's important information, right? If you look at the scripture that precedes this, the other 10, remember Judas, right? If you're really following along, there's 12 disciples. Now you're like, all of a sudden we're down to 10. Yeah, Judas, bad ending there, ended his own life. That's a story for another day. And so the 10 disciples saw Jesus. Thomas wasn't one of them. And so the other disciples, verse 25, told Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless, we've done this, unless, I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side where the spear while he was on the cross was, was punctured. I will not believe unless, right? We would do that unless I will not believe. A week later, verse 26, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, 
peace be with you, right? And this is the second time he said this in his encounter with the disciples because somebody comes back from the dead, right? He walks in the room, you're like, oh, hello, probably freaking out a little bit. And so he said, peace be with you, it's all good. Verse 27, then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here. So he's actually, you know, responding in the way that Thomas requested. Put your fingers here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And in that moment, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, instantaneous. Then Jesus told him, and this is where we're, we're going at the end of the message, because you have seen me, you have believed. Now here's the aim for all of us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. But I want us to take note of Jesus' response to doubting Thomas. He's not shunned or ridiculed and be like, well, sorry, man, you're cut. I, I think 10 disciples are gonna be good, right? Because they, they all believed and they didn't need to go to the lengths that you did. But notice, I love Jesus' response. He's not ridiculed by Jesus when he doubts. Instead, Jesus receives his doubts, shows him his hands. Why? I love this. He's still continuing to use the very wounds that he experienced on the cross that brought him to death. He's using those very wounds to communicate, right, this representation of his love and patience for others. His vulner continued vulnerability is what opens the door for Thomas's faithfulness. I mean, Jesus easily could have been like, dude, here I am. I just, I just beat death. You know, I'm not going to go to the length showing you my hands on my side. Like, that's ridiculous. Hey, if I'm Jesus, that's probably my instinctive response. And in that moment, right, he, he does go to the lengths of what, what he, the, how far he needs to go you know, to help Thomas get there. And Thomas responds with my Lord and my God. Eight days after Easter, Thomas, Easter Sunday, Thomas comes to a point of belief. How? Now, don't, we can't miss this. What facilitates Thomas's belief is not just you are the one I know. Like, I've got tangible evidence, tangible proof, right? That's, that's part of it. But it was more so, you are the one who has taken time for me. In the midst of my doubts, you still love me. Knowledge played a part, but Jesus' loving response was primary. This is what makes Jesus, Jesus. Relationship will always be more important than knowledge or information. The acquisition of information will never be primary. This past week, I, was, uh, I went down to Josh Brown, our Sunday morning Burlington worship leader, his office, Derek Gover was in the office as well, and he's our Thursday night worship leader, and uh, we were talking, I noticed on Derek's phone, he had a picture of his girlfriend. I'm like, oh, that's, I said something to him, I'm like, oh, that's, that's nice, you're, you're a good boyfriend, whatever. Maybe being a little facetious, and, um, and then Josh said, uh, oh, you mean like this, and shows his phone, has a picture of his wife. I'm like, oh, awkward. <laughs> yeah, my phone, I got the default screen, green pastures, you know, just hanging out there, and <laughs> I'm like, oh man, apparently I'm a bad husband, you know, been married a while, can't, can't complain about it, didn't have enough time, you know, about four and a half years, but, uh, and so, you know, the reason why, you know, that stuck in my mind in, in context of working on this message, I was like, if I were to ask Josh and Derek, hey, do y'all have, you know, would you consider to have good relationships with your significant other? And all they did was hold up their phone and say, isn't it obvious? Like, that would be the fullness of their quality relationship with their significant other, right? Now, so I walked back on Thursday into Josh's office and just to, you know, let them know, hey, I'm going to talk about you in the message tonight because we have Thursday night service, which I feel like it's a nice thing to do. Eric McDonald, right, he was in there as well, and so he's part of the conversation now. He's like, Eric's like, he's our worship leader out at Union. He's like, you going to mention me as well? Holds up his phone. Picture of his wife. <laughs> well, that's all I need is, is affirmation. 
See, the significance, the fullness of our faith or of our relationship with Christ, right, is not the equivalent, right, here's what we're getting at, of walking around wearing a Christian t-shirt. Like, wow, you must love Jesus. You got the t-shirt. It's a full-on advertisement. No, it's the everyday nature of the sense of togetherness. No, we're walking with each other. If I go home and say, hey, you know, Emily, I feel like we have a solid relationship, but I'm going to take it to a whole other level. Check out this on my phone, right? (laughs) Wow, about time. Wow, we finally, right, have reconciled all things. No. It's about what happens on a daily basis, right? And so knowledge, right, is, and this is what we're getting at, is, is technically bonus. And we, hey, that's my default. We want to seek out knowledge about God, but it will never be the primary thing. God wants us to gain knowledge of him, his ways and his character, but that should always be connected to what is primary, which is daily walking with him. Relationship is his primary aim, right? We're setting the table so you know what God wants for us as we have this conversation. It's not just going to be a, a Q&A. All right, I have a question. You answered it. Okay, now I have faith. No, that's all cerebral, isn't it? If we make God a research project, our doubts actually will spiral because they will be connected to the pursuit of information and the acquisition of knowledge alone. I saw this play out in Bible college. Well, there was a guy who uh, came in a couple years after me, spent a lot of time together. We were on the basketball team, so traveled together. And he was a relatively new Christian, came to know Christ in high school, was on fire, right? I grew up in the church and I'd been in Bible college for a couple years. And when I met uh, this guy, it was, like, it was an injection to my own faith. I'm like, man, his sense of, of awe and wonder of who God is and just on fire. It was probably about a year after that, he started reading philosophy book after philosophy book. And I remember uh, from time to time going down to uh, the floor where, where he lived in the dorm, the door would always be shut and he would always be in there, just books just surrounding him. And he never stopped reading. He literally became consumed by all the different philosophies that he was studying that he didn't know which, which way was up. And I wish that there was a positive ending to the story, and there isn't because he continued to spiral. You know, he's living in another country right now, and, you know, kind of pay attention to him, you know, on social media and some of the stuff that he posts. Like, it, it's like, it's just a, a web it's of, of just lostness, of nothing to solidify any kind of direction at all. This is what happens when we make knowledge alone our primary aim in seeking God. There's a lot of good philosophy out there, right, that can supplement, but what God is after is not our head, but our heart. Now, again, this is a struggle for me. I love to read. I love to obtain new information, and I'm always reading books. And, but if I only do that and never spend time with God, and trust me, it's easy to squeeze out the time with God because I want to go through books and absorb information. But if my expectation is that after I acquire that new information about God, there's a, there, there's a natural tendency, even in Bible college, to still not be any closer to God, and I'm missing the main point. One author put it this way. Many who are analytical are often resistant to prayer. They chase down all their questions through philosophy and apologetics and fail to chase God's heart in prayer. While reading, he says, is good and strongly suggested, you cannot forsake seeking Jesus specifically about your doubts. Seek him about your doubts. He says, if you do, you'll be at risk of stuffing your head while emptying your heart. You'll wither while you wonder. It's a lot at stake, isn't there? God said to Jeremiah in the Old Testament, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Again, I'll be the first to confess that I don't always wish it was this way. (laughs) Because my instinct, my bent, right? Get a pile of books, spend a ton of time, extended time reading them. And I want to read that book, acquire, gain some knowledge, and be good with God now that I've gathered all the facts, right? And I, it's, exci- right? it's exciting, I love, love sharing about what I'm learning about God, but if I, I, can, I can miss God 
in the midst of learning about God. So the goal for each of us is to be able to say, like Thomas said, my Lord and my God. It's got to become personal. He's not a research project. So know that when you go searching for him, and I hope that you're one step closer to, maybe your second time guest coming out of Easter, but know that when you pursue him, you're searching for him with your head maybe, he is pursuing your heart. Don't stop. Don't settle for mere knowledge when you have the promise of relationship. Again, this is why Jesus says to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. The goal is not for our faith to be blind by any matter, but to be bold. It's the essence of love, and love always involves risk. Interesting, Paul, his prayer to the church of Ephesus, the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, chapter 3, verse 16, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So number one, we can't get there on our own. <laughs> it's only through God's power. He goes on, he said, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love, that's our anchor, that's our foundation, may have power, power is, comes from love, not knowledge, together with all the Lord's holy people, so that, here's the aim, to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That's, again, being overwhelmed by the realization of Christ in our own lives. He closed this, this, this section with this. And to know, this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So number one, as we kick off the series, know this. As we navigate doubt, know that your doubts are safe with God. Your doubts are safe with God. And I pray that they're safe with this church as well. If not, we're not getting it right. Because <laughs> we saw a perfect example through Jesus himself how he received doubts from Thomas. Number two, as we navigate doubt, know that he is looking for relationship over knowledge. He's looking for relationship over knowledge. And number three, as we navigate doubt, know that doubt is not an obstacle to faith, but instead an opportunity for deeper faith. See, I'm, I'm leery of the people saying, no, I have no doubts, right? God's there, it's easy, I don't know why everybody doesn't get it. <laughs> because doubt, right, could actually be a positive sign that represents our longing, our search for stronger faith. So let me be clear, as we define doubt, and we'll continue to over the coming weeks, doubt is not the same as unbelief. Right? Somebody who's, who's, who doesn't believe, isn't longing, doesn't have a desire uh, to navigate doubt at all, to seek God at all. Therefore, doubt is not the opposite of faith, right? Bring clarity to that. But think about this, and this, is, this can be the frustrating part. When we think about the way that God created us, because of the way God created us, doubt, number one, is a natural response to the limitation of our knowledge. And so what we see, number two, is God, he did this on purpose. Again, this can be frustrating, but think about this. God did this on purpose. Why? So that our doubt would push us to even stronger faith. This was his design. When he created us, he could have created us with the capacity, the competency to understand, to grasp how high and deep his love really was, right, in our minds alone. He didn't. Why? Because it, the strength of our faith lies in putting our trust fully in him. Because again, if we get to a place where we fully understand who God is and how he operates, then we've created our own God. We're not actually believing in the God that we are required to trust. That's the essence of relationship, isn't it? See, doubt sets us up to pursue faith because doubt is a reflection that you want to find 
the truth. So, you know, my, my goal for the series is to encourage maybe even some longtime believers like, I mean, I've, I've had doubts forever. You know, I walk into gatherings and everybody seems to be, you know, super spiritual and have it all together. And they say they hear directly from God, like, well, apparently I don't have an actual, actual relationship with God. That's not true. Maybe the result of feeling like that is you're more honest with your doubts than maybe the people that seem to be more spiritual than you are. Being honest and open about your doubts is evidence of your longing. Pay attention to the longing the desire that you have to grow at all. I've encouraged numerous people over the years in this regard that are really struggling and they're wondering what God's up to. I said, you're not sitting here in my office talking to me if, you, if there isn't faith involved. The fact that you have this longing, you have this desire to, to be more, to trust in God more, that's not nothing. <laughs> that's a big deal. That's evidence of trust, evidence of longing for more of God in your life. So I believe that most of us here, we, we want to believe. So know today that your desire matters. Now, when I first uh, started in this role as lead pastor in 2016, the very first message series that I preached, June of 2016, uh, I called it Reach Beyond Your Grasp. And it came from what I read in uh, Oswald Chambers' uh, devotional, My Utmost for His Highest. I know many of you are familiar with this. I received this as a graduation gift uh, when I graduated high school, and it's by far been my favorite uh, devotional since. And uh, this was from a May 2nd entry. And so I was sharing about this back in 2016 and then looking at it again this past week. And I thought it was pretty cool as we're kicking off the series and May 2nd is later this week. And so the title, Reach Beyond Your Grasp, is really the aim of what we're talking about in this series. And so I want to read just a portion of what Oswald Chambers in this May 2nd entry wrote. Here's what he said. It is a bad thing to be satisfied spiritually. We are apt to look for satisfaction in ourselves. It says, now I've got the thing. Now I am entirely sanctified. Now I can endure. He said, instantly, we are on the road to ruin. Our reach must exceed our grasp. He said, beware of the danger of relaxation spiritually. The tendency to coast, the tendency to believe that we can get to a point of arriving. Like, I've got this. This is, the, right, this is really religion-based. Yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I wear the Christian t-shirt. Yeah, I carry my Bible around everywhere. Wow, you must really love Jesus. <laughs> As opposed to sincerely being open, right, to our longing, say, yeah, I don't always understand, but I know I want more of God in my life. Now, I'll add a paraphrase or maybe a different summary of what Oswald Chambers wrote, because sometimes, those of you that have read My Atmosphere for His Highest, you read it once and you're like, did he say what I think he said, right? Because it can be kind of dense, and then you have to read it a second time, you're like, oh, man, it's kind of like a subtle punch in the gut in the best way possible. Another guy, I put it this way, a little shorter summary. Frederick Beekner once said, doubt is the ants in the pants of faith. It keeps us awake and moving. I love that, right? Man, I, I, again, I'd be leery if you're just indifferent. You're like, yeah, whatever, I go to church. Yeah, God, he's cool. Yeah, we're, right, we're tight. You know? The sense of urgency, the sense of desperation, like, wow, I'd, I'm understanding that the goal is not to arrive, but to continue in the pursuit of God. What I want to do as we, we close uh, the message today is I want to read a prayer that uh, Thomas Merton a long time ago wrote that uh, I really resonated with, and I hope that you do as well. And then after that prayer, we're going to show a video that I think serves as a bridge between this week and next week and really kind of taking a step towards solidifying what it looks like to um, you know, pay attention to God in the midst of our doubts and especially connected to Easter when it looks like what it looks like to live out the resurrection. What are some signs, some evidence of God? 
And then after that video, the band at both campuses is going to come up and they're going, going to sing a song. They're going to lead us uh, to an opportunity where we have to cry out to God. And all of us cry out to God from a different place based on where we are in our faith journey. Know that he meets you there wherever you are. And then during that song, if you're at a place where you're like, yeah, I, I already know that I, I need to make a change in my life. In fact, I need to bury this life and choose new life with Christ. And so at both campuses, if during that song, that's you, come down front here at the Burlington campus, go to the back to the prayer room at the Union campus, and I'll be down front here, Gary will be in the back there, and just make that decision, say, hey, I'm, I wanna walk with Christ. <laughs> I understand that I can't get there alone through my head, through the acquisition of knowledge. I want to surrender my life to Christ. Or if you need prayer, uh, during that time, the song that we, we play after the video, uh, we have a prayer room here to your right, the Burlington campus and in, in the back at Union, where you can spend however much time that you need. Just opening up to someone, say, hey, I've struggled. Maybe you've struggled for decades. Know that this is a safe place. And if it's not, we're getting it wrong. So let me read through this uh, prayer by Thomas Merton, and then uh, we'll watch this video. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen.